and welcome to Living My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest today is Tasman Archer. Now Tasman, best remembered for her single Sleeping Satellite, which was a massive hit around the world back in 1992. It hit number one in her native England, also number one in Ireland, and it hit the top 40 in the US, peaking at number 32. That was her only hit in the US, so we talk about her just being a one-hit wonder in the States. Her debut album, Great Expectations, was fantastic. It had a couple other songs as well that we discuss. In her native England, she won a Brit Award for Top Newcomer. But after that, she released a couple more albums, and that was it. Her last album, On, was released in 2006, which also was a really good album. We talk about why she hasn't released any music recently, whether or not she's working on new music, the inspiration behind Sleeping Satellite, her relationship with the song now, and just getting started in the business. What I liked about this interview is I haven't really heard much about Tasman, so it was good just to get her story out there and to find out about it. Tasman was really sweet, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with her. Tasman, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm sure I'm not the only one to say this, but we we missed you in the states. Uh, well, what do you what have you been doing? Uh, well, I've, I've been well, I, I put an album out in 2006. That was a long time ago. Um, we did that independently. It was called On. Um, so obviously, it wasn't as high profile as Great Expectations or even Bloom, our second album, because um, we didn't have all the uh, well, we didn't have the music industry machine helping us, so <laughs> we did what we could. Um, yeah, and things since then, just life in general, and just working on music ourselves and, and just pottering on, really. But we've got so much music um, in various stages now of completion that it's going to be probably quite a lot coming out um, in succession, if you like. Oh, great. Definitely look forward to hearing that. I, I recently uh, heard on, you know, thanks to Spotify, you know, the streaming sites, and I really loved it. I mean, it's, oh, thank you. Yeah. It's, um, a lot of love went into that because obviously that was our first endeavor in doing things on our own, and um, so that was a steep learning curve for us, and there were lots of different things that you have to learn to help to get the, the sound right if you're recording from home. It's not as if you have a big... Uh, recording studios that studios that we've been used to or even um the great musicians that we had on either of those albums previous, you know. So so yes, it was it was it was quite hard work but it was it was worth it because it's satisfying to know that you can do something um musically that uh, you're inspired to do and we've learned a lot from that and got those things that we've learned into the into the now if you like, with the music that we're doing now which I'm very, very excited about because I'm genuinely excited as I wasn't before because I took a bit of a time off, you know, and had a little bit um, of downtime sort of away from music and the business of music, if you like, and so I was a bit disenchanted by the whole thing. And, but now, yeah, I've got my, if you like, mojo back. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> now, with, with On and you know, your first, you mentioned your first album, like, on your own label. Um you basically obviously had control, so you, all the all the songs obviously did not have to go through kind of like I want to say a screening process with a record label. So just yeah, everything that you, you wanted right, you wanted to do, you put on the album, correct? That's right. Yeah. Um, with us, we we write a lot of songs, and so therefore, when we're coming to do the songs, we we actually look at it in in terms of having it like a, a paragraph in a book or or whatever, you know, and. We'd like it to make sense um, all the way through, just like a storyline with each song going on to the next song. And so, therefore, um, you know, we we chose the ones that we felt worked right with with that particular album. So, yeah. Right, and uh, one of the songs I really, really like is "Effective uh, Monotony."
Um, there was one artist, when I come to think of it, um, somebody called Joe Stafford. She was an artist that was about before even I was born on it. But I had an album of songs that she was um, singing on, and one in particular I used to fell in love with, which was um, a song called Tumbling Tumbleweed, which I later, not knowing that I'd ever get a chance to cover something like that, I mean, I didn't even think of it, but we covered the, that, that song, Tumbling Tumbleweed. We were in the studio recording Bloom, my second album, with uh, Mitchell Freeman and Tad Blake, and we decided to do some covers, and that was one of them. So I actually got to do a song that I'd listened to all the, over and over again, you know, so that was great. So, yeah, um, a lot of the time I'd get influences from my brothers and my sister, and my sister liked Marvin Gaye and Funk and Staple Singers, and my other brother liked um, Abba and um, Kate Bush and my my, my the woman younger than, uh, sorry, one year older than me, he liked a variety of music. He liked punk and indie and reggae and things like that. So he liked Linton Quincy Johnson, the Cocktail Twins, um, Elvis Costello. We both shared the love of his music. And, and I used to hear music on the radio, which was like things like uh, Heat Wave and Earth, Wind and Fire and uh, Roberta Flack and Queen and all, all types of music, really. I just That's where my real deep love for music came, was just listening to everything. And so if it was good, it didn't matter what style it was. Right. Yeah. Do you think, like, you, you, you took all of, like, their likes and, and put it kind of, like, into, like, like, I wouldn't say, like, your first album, but kind of, like, what you wanted to do musically? Yeah, so, yeah. In, in a way, I mean, obviously, people are influenced by the music that they've brought, that they've listened to throughout throughout their young teenage years and even beyond. Um, before that, I mean, yeah, it, it, I couldn't say otherwise. Yeah, I got lots of influences from that that time. Um, but most mainly because of the voices and the tones and things like that that were real interest to me. And it was always about the sound of the voice and how that voice was used, and also in different in different styles of music. So, yeah, it did come out in, in the first album. But then again, that's what happens. It could just be building up to that to that crescendo, and you put that out, and not everything went on the album, of course. Right. But, um, yeah, you get you get the gist of, of what that person's about through, you know, 10, 11 songs, you know, to, to start off with. Um, and then... It, it continues. You just continue to grow musically and you listen to different music as you go along and you have different experiences in your life and you put those into all of that and observations and that's how it works. <laughs> yeah. How how much of like your songwriting is like drawn from like personal experiences? I think a lot of it is. It has to be um understood it has to have a connection you know that if i have no connection to it I'm, i don't think i'm a great actress so right. <laughs> um you have to have some kind of connection with it to, to to make it work and to make it truthful and so yes yeah, so i have to have some um some kind of experience that, that relates to it you know to the subject matter in some way emotionally maybe not literally but you know I have to find some way of getting getting to meld with the, the actual lyrics because I don't always write the lyrics, so, you know. Right. I mean, like, how long, I guess it varies per artist, but, like, when you, you actually sit down and say, I'm going to write a song, or you're walking the street or somewhere and a line pops up, it's like, i got to write this down. I don't know. I mean, I've always written songs ever since I was really small. I mean, I had a small cassette player with a little microphone, which my mother bought from, at one Christmas, and everybody had a turn singing into it. And that's when I got the bug to try and make my own songs. And I was very, very small, and I just used to make things up and put them on cassette, and I had a big suitcase. When I say big suitcase, for me, being small, it wasn't that big. I had a suitcase full of cassettes with my singing on and I don't know where that got to it would have been interesting to listen back to what I was even trying to convey <laughs> um, but yeah I think that um, you know 
use this kind of anything that comes to mind, and I think I've always been like that. I've always had this kind of ideas for melodies or for a feeling that I feel at the time or something that, you know, something that triggers something off by somebody saying something and it might be just a phrase or something like that. Um, I mean, when we start off writing songs, um, it's usually the melody and the, the, you know, the chords and things like that that come first. And, and the, the lyrics aren't always there. There are things that are internet and the, the lyrics will be going a certain way emotionally, but they may not go that way in subject matter. Um, so, yeah, it, it starts off very much with the melody and the, you know, the chords and things like that, and then we kind of knock it into shape um, and later on down the line, and usually it's the lyrics that come last, so it's not always um, autobiography. <laughs> right. It, 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 it's just whatever uh, subject matter we think that is works well with the, the mood of the, the melody or the mood of the, 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 the chords or, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, but, yeah, you have to, uh, I just write, that's how we write and that's how we've always written. So we, we seem to find that easier to do that way. Even, like, before getting involved, like, professionally in music, you, yeah. you, had, you had other jobs, right? <laughs> yeah, we did. Um, I I was I was working as a sewing machinist. Um, as soon as I left school, that's that, that's the first job that I got. And um, after that, I worked as a clerk typist for various um, companies and things. And then I worked as a clerk for the magistrates court in in um, petty science offices in Leeds. And um, I was always doing that channel. I was always pursuing my love of music and, and singing. So I met people along the way that were in bands, and I used to just end up either doing backing vocals for them or whatever it was, you know. Um, if they asked me to do lead, at that time I wasn't writing songs with anybody. I wasn't writing with anybody else. I was just trying to get into bands and and get experience doing live work and things like this, you know. So, um, so we were all working. The other guys in the band um, at the time, there were three of us, and um, we were all working, so... We had to take time off work to to do whatever we needed to do, which was at the time we were sending off um, cassettes of the songs and demos that we'd done um, to to record companies and to publishers, and eventually somebody bit and and it took off from there really. Now you had signed to EMI. How many like did you already have kind of like a set of songs you wanted to? kind of convey on your first album, or is like, i got to start writing songs now for this album? No, no, we already had all the songs. The Sleeping Satellite was written before we even got signed to anybody. That was one of the songs on the demo, um, Lord of the New Church. All of those songs were on the, on, on, the, on the demo. There were a few songs that weren't, like, I, I, I think I can remember, um, oh, was it Ariane, wasn't okay. it? Totally done. Uh, I think that we actually did, did actually do some music. Uh, finished it off, I think, in the studio. We had an idea for it, but virtually a lot of it was finished. I mean, Sleeping Satellite wasn't really that much different to what you hear now on the single because it was it was virtually there. It was just that it needed, obviously, um, the, public, uh, the producers and things like that really made it shine, you know what I mean? Right. And uh, the... Um, you know, the musicians that we got on the, the album were just superb and I suppose they took it to another level. But basically a lot of the songs that we had, we had plenty more than that, but <laughs> we just chose the ones that would work. Like like most times, um, they just choose the ones that would work and we chose them as well. Right, yeah, absolutely. I, I love Great Expectations. I still play it a lot all the time. Um, it took me... It was so funny because when I first heard Sleeping Silent Radio, yeah. you know, I think that now it's like you can like go back and play to the song from the beginning. It's they display the artist and the name. Back then when yeah. it came out, you had to rely on DJ saying the name of the song and the artist. So yeah. and, and half the time when I would hear it, they would never say your name or say the name of the song. So for a lot of 
Yeah, I had no idea what the name of it was sweet and sour. I thought it was like people would say it was I blame you and exactly remember because that was the start of the song and that's what started the song off actually. I had the words I blame you for the moonlit sky and something like the trees that died. You know, people right. keep the song going, the melody going, and the, the thing, and then later on we knocked it and said, "John, John Hughes, my current um, a long time." Uh, co-writer and partner and producer, he wrote the lyrics for that one day. Just, it was down about the summertime of, uh, when was it, 1990, um, oh gosh, when was that? It was quite early on anyway, and it was around about the time of the 20, 20th anniversary of uh, the man's last first landing on the moon, and he found an article in a magazine about what had not been progressed since then, and he thought that that would be a good idea to write a song about something like that, this drama, that's how that came about, really. I blame you for the moonlit sky And the dream that died With the eagles flight I blame you for the moonlit nights When I wonder why Are the sea still dry Don't blame me Ironically, we 
can celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Manhattan And yeah, how much has changed since then? <laughs> no, no, I think, um, and I'm not sure it is. It's not, it's not something that's anti-space travel. People think it is, you know, but it isn't. It's right. totally the opposite of that. And, and it's just asking questions what we've done since then and, and uh, why haven't we progressed this space travel exploration. And, and that's basically it, really. Yeah. I, I was fortunate enough, I think after maybe the 15th time I heard the song on the radio, that a DJ said that it was Taz and Arch here and the name of the song. So then I was immediately went to the record store to buy the CD. So I finally was able to finally. get it. Yeah, yeah I, I've heard that before, that people um, didn't realize who it was or what it was called. They only just found out. Well, that's great because you know, it spans a lot of time, doesn't it? It spans throughout time that people are discovering and it's still going strong, like so. That's great. Yeah, the time was classic. Did you actually think that it was going to be like a huge hit that actually became, you know, in your country, and then it became, you know, a really good hit in the states? Well, I don't know. I mean, you always have like you always have a feeling about a song, and sometimes you think this is this is really good, and that's how we felt about a lot of the songs, and. and um, Personally, we we enjoyed it, I and mean, it was just, it wasn't as if we thought it was going to be as big as it was going to be. It was just a case of when the record company um, started putting in and doing whatever they need to do marketing-wise, uh, they were really committed to doing it. So, but you never guaranteed that it's going to you know work out that way. But yeah, we had a good feeling about it, and we knew that the record company liked it, and they were going to push push it in marketing. So. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, you should be. Uh, do you remember where you were the first time you heard it on the radio? Yes, I do. Um, we were traveling back from Leeds after doing, um, I think it was a pre-recorded session or something like that. With uh, it was an interview with Bob Harris on um, BBC Radio One, and um, we'd done it, and we were on our way back to to Leeds in the car and. So we, put, we knew what time it was coming on, we put it on on the radio, and there it was, and we were like thrilled because we were like we're going away. Yeah. Yeah, it was Right. Yeah, I mean, I remember them, like, you know, the, the States playing another single off, off that record. Was there ever like a push for a second single in the States? No, I think I think that didn't happen. We did a, we did a small sort of like tour of. Mistakes. Um, I mean, it's such a big place, and it was a commitment to get around and do do as much as what what we could have done when we did the UK and Europe. But we that just didn't happen. Um, so that, that was something that was a missed opportunity, really, for sure. Right now, um, did they, did they like the record company give you an option, say like to stay in Europe, or just, you can kind of branch over? Um, no, no, they didn't. They didn't really sort of internet that. They just said that they, um, they obviously wanted it to work out in the states. And we, right. like I say, we've we've come across to the states and we've done a few shows and things like that. But nothing really, um, like a big tour or anything like that. It was just a few um, uh, bits and pieces here and there, and it it wasn't enough really. It, it needed more time. It needed more money. It needed more push to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know. They, they they didn't they didn't really sort of elaborate on why they didn't they didn't do it. So. Right. Did, did they like also, so they did they really know how to market you? Because like I, I think at the start I think they found they didn't they didn't really know what to do because I mean it took us a while to get even anybody interested in us. Never mind knowing that Squid and Satellite was going to be a hit right. because they we sent demos around like I say way back when before. We were even signed, and um, we kept getting things back like uh, try again or that kind of thing, you know. And it was only, it wasn't until we got our manager. So the sequence of it was: we got the manager, we got the publishing deal, uh, we signed the publishing deal, and then we signed um, a record deal with EMI. After that, things started to take off, you know. Right. But you no, know, so <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, because th- there were like, I mean, I can think of like four or five songs from Great Expectations that would have been fantastic singles. Uh, you know, so we, like, did, we, we did. There was there 
album. But it's really yeah. out in Germany and and places like that. And there were right. things like Somebody's Got, which did very well in, in, in Germany, I think. And in France, I think they liked Ariane. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, two of my favorites. You know, Ella Barian, that's a, such a great song. Also, yeah, yeah, I think Somebody's Daughter would have done, you know, great in states. And, and we did release Ariane here in the UK, and that was a top 40 hit. And also we released In Your Care, and that was also a top, top 30, I think it was. And um, and Sleeping Satellite was released in, in, in the States, I think that got to like number 30-something in the Billboard charts or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 32. So, yeah. I mean, there were, and then Greg is sold well, well over a million um, albums, you know, so, and right. it still continues to do well, so, I mean, I, do, I really don't know why they didn't put it in the same way, but, uh, and also Lord of the New Church was released as well here in, in, in the UK. Yeah, and, so they did release a few singles off the album. Right. 
Yeah, it's just, yeah. It's, it's a bit like a blur to me sometimes, and I keep thinking, what happened? <laughs> exactly. You have to read about yourself, right, to remember. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like... Was that me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't remember that. Yeah. I don't like, remember that one. <laughs> yeah, if you say so, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. a lot was going on then. We were doing um, quite a lot of touring, and we were doing... Um, videos and things like that for the, for the actual singles and surveys and, and interviews and, and things. So everything seems to sort of meld into one thing. <laughs> right, yeah. Did, did, uh, did you enjoy that story? I enjoy parts of it. The part I enjoy is performing live. I don't right. enjoy the nerves of performing live, but I do enjoy singing live. Right, yeah. And, um, and I enjoyed being in the studio most of all because, you know, I get to hear all these great musicians playing. I mean, what a joy is that, you know? Yeah, no, um, of course. Because uh, yeah, there were a lot of great musicians that played on Great Expectations, also on Bloom as well. So, you know, it's, it's just, it, that to me was like the best thing ever, you know? Um, yeah. And they, you know, they always say that you, you have, like, your whole life to write your first album and, like, six months to write the second. How, how much pressure was... Uh, well, in, yeah, there was, a, there was some pressure because, I mean, um, uh, the, the record company, uh, after great expectations, wanted to put something out sort of immediately, and we didn't have an album of songs uh, to put out. So they suggested that we do uh, uh, an EP of covers, you know. Oh, shit building, and, right? Yeah. Um, at the start, we were, well, it, it, it wasn't sure that we were going to do a, um, an EP of uh, Elvis Costello covers. Right. We thought about Bob Dylan, and so we were looking into Bob Dylan's songs that we could do, and we did a few demos of that, and we did a few demos of Elvis Costello songs, and in the end, we went for the Elvis Costello songs, and Chip Bowden was one on that, uh, on that EP with four tracks, yeah. Yeah, that, that was that was a fantastic cover. It really was. Uh, yeah, thank you. And they put yeah. that out, and um, that was uh, there was something continuous after that, and that was kind of like the pressure of wanting more. And then it was back to the grind to try and uh, do another album. But we had different ideas. We wanted to do something that was a bit different, a bit more um, organic, if you like, and right. work with. Um, some producers that we really liked and because of the records that we really liked listening to of these producers that produced their songs and we thought that would be great and um, and I suppose the record company agreed with that at the first start but then I think, I don't know what went wrong I think there was a, um, a personnel shift of, of people and, and when that happens midway through a, an album it's, it's quite difficult to have that communication and that, that connection again and and the person that comes in wants to change everything just so that they have their stamp ego wise I don't know, you know. So we we had to have a lot of back and forth with them um about it and we kinda of dug our heels in about it and we wanted to put out the way that it was and and I suppose from then on they kind of um didn't put too much effort into to promoting it as much as they could have done. I mean, right, which is a shame because Playstations was a hit. Even you won a Brit Award, so I mean, you you had a lot of traction, and just yeah. you know, unfortunately, the business of it, you know, recognition has gotten away. Yeah, the business usually gets in the way because there are people with very sort of yeah, they're not musicians. They're not really sort of thinking musically. They're businessmen, and they don't think in terms of uh, uh, you know expanding their horizons when you try to. Think of new new things to do, um, you know, musically, I and mean, be feeling inspired in that way. They don't think in terms of that. They think probably in terms of we want Mark to and great expectations. So that to me would be like very soul destroying because you just carry on and do the same thing over and over and over again. That's madness. And um, they didn't see it that way, so we kind of had to dig our ears in. And I don't think that our relationship then recovered from that. So, yeah. That right. Was that. Yeah. So, um, so that was your last album with, with Ian White, correct? That was, yeah. That was the last album. Yeah. So then, obviously, there was a, a long break before Off On came on, or came out, I should say. Yeah. Um, 
What what were you having during that time? Well, I think I'd lost a lot of enthusiasm for the whole thing, and I, I felt drained from it all, from all the uh, the carry on with music industry and and, and things. And I just I just felt as if I needed a break, really. And so that's what I did. I took a break, a bit of time away. I just planned on taking maybe a few months away, but it turned out to be more. And, um, I continued writing on things and getting ideas and things like this, but um, it was all very slow. And I think I had a bit of uh, writer's block as well. And so I had to work through that. And, um, it was it was difficult. And eventually, I kind of saw the light and I came through it. So. Yeah. How do you overcome writer's block? I think you have to put your attention elsewhere and not try to fixate on trying to do what you've been doing before, uh, which is to try and please other people or to please or to think that you're doing something um, that people, other people expect it to do. You have to kind of um, take it back to where you first started and do it for the love of the music that you love to do for yourself. And then it's, I think there's more authenticity and there's more uh, of a genuineness coming and then it flows eventually. Right. So is that when you just decided where well, it was going to basically release our next album on our own label and there's sort of yeah. no pressure to come out when it comes out and that's right. Yeah. 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 We had the we had the um we could afford to do that because of the success that we had and you know, we didn't have to worry about too much about um paying bills and things like this financially. <laughs> we weren't strapped for 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 doing things on our own. Um, you know, we didn't have a pocket full of money to, to, to throw at it, but we did our best, and and that was it. That was it. You've got to start somewhere. You've got to kind of like build it up from that, and um, and that was that was tough. I'm not going to lie. That was quite tough to actually think that you have to now turn into being somebody who pushes your own music, right? Um, in, in this in this way to try and get it out to people because. The machinery is already in place at that time for the record companies. Although it's changed now, it was still um, it was still quite based on um, them having the monopoly on the radios and the radio stations, as, as with everything really. It took um, it took a lot to get somebody to kind of like um, even play a record on Radio One, you know, without having some kind of um, uh, the music industry machine or something like that um, to, to, to make sure that happens. Right, and that was like before even they had streaming sites and you know, Apple and iTunes and stuff like that. So we were just on the edge of where it was just changing. It was really changing big. And so it hadn't changed enough at that time and we didn't know enough at that time to be able to kind of like... Um, Maneuver and and um, you know master the art of uh, putting music out for ourselves. It was a it was quite hard um, to know which way to go with it really. Right now, since uh, you know all three of your albums have been out on streaming sites, have you gotten a lot of feedback from on since then? Oh yeah, yeah. It's slowly. I mean, it still sells. We still sell it, um, and and I think that's because people are looking at their expectations and some people are familiar with Bloom and, and so they want to check out what you're doing with, um, or if you've done anything else. And so in that way, it trickles through, you know. Right. And um, I guess maybe we get last question. Uh, what is like your relationship with Sleeping Satellite now? Well, my relationship's always been good, I can't say. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's always been a good relationship, I think. It was just a song that we wrote, and it um, it was something that we were happy with, and it it afforded us to be able to go on and do other things because people are so familiar with it, and and plus I'm I'm happy that you know it does it does it still does well, you know, it still gets played everywhere, you know, and so it's always been a good. I've always had a good relationship with it. I mean, yeah, I I. I I don't think there's any other way that you could think of uh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be able to say anything else about it because it's always been good to me and if, if, you, if you can put it that way, yeah. Right, yeah, because you know, some artists who 
I mean, I, don't, I hate to call you a wanted one because you're, you're not in the world, but in the States, you are. But yeah. it's, you know, that some artists who are like wanted wonders in the States kind of resent that song that they yeah. made me famous because they put out, you know, multiple albums and other songs. So I'm um, glad that you realize that that song, you know, is the one that puts you on the map. And, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah without a doubt. I mean, I have a good relationship with it. I don't feel that because it's known more than other songs on the album or more than um, other songs on other albums that we've done, it makes no difference to me. It won't change my attitude towards it. And I'm just pleased that all of the songs on the album, how, how well they've done, equally. Right. And also, yeah. I'm appreciative. <laughs> but I am appreciative of the fact that people know it more and, and love it more. Right. But, I mean, I recommend anyone who's not familiar with the second and third album, go check them out. They're both fantastic. I mean, Great Expectations yeah, also. Sure. I think this is a classic. But, Taz, I mean, this this was great. Thank you so yeah, much for your we're time. We're working on more stuff, so obviously we're in the process of getting all the, the work done very close. We're very close now to completion with a lot of stuff, so I'm excited about that. And um, we're also, um, you know, looking at uh, getting music Musical projects into things, the TV and films, things like that. But it's all good. Oh, that's great! And I would love to talk to you again once you have stuff out again. Oh, that's great! I'd be happy to talk to you. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. And a special thanks to Tasman for joining us today. Go check out her website, tasmanarcher.com. You can follow her on Twitter at tasmanarcher. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the first in all one nine. Be sure to like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes. Check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Show's on SoundCloud. It's also on Podbean. Go to livingmyyouth.threadless.com for all your merchandise, t-shirts, phone cases, hoodies. Holidays are coming up. A new episode comes out every Wednesday. And before we go, go check out another fantastic song by Tasman off of Great Expectations. Here's Lords of the New Church. See you next week. Thank you.